1: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Mc Crispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Last month, I was at the Barnes & Noble in Union Square, here in New York. I was sitting in the green room, waiting for an author to arrive. She was launching a new book that day, and I was going to interview her on stage. Out on the floor, 300 people were finding their seats. This thing was sold out. People at the door were getting turned away. I have never seen a crowd this hyped for a book event. It was kind of blowing my mind. I have also never seen security guards at a book event. But there they were, clearing the area, as the author came up through the freight elevator. She needed a human barrier to give her a little distance from her curious fans, most of whom are under 12 years old. (laughs) When I go to schools, the kids always ask, how old are you? And then I I
2: just tell them the year I was born, and then there's like a split-second pause, and then some kid finishes the math first and yells out (laughs) my age, and I'm like, very good. And then the rest of the kids gasp and go, that's my mom's age.
1: (laughs) I think, yeah, that's cool. Like, your mom was a kid once. Your mom's probably super cool. This, my friends, is Raina Telgemeier, If you have a child in elementary or middle school, chances are at least one of her graphic novels has made it into your home. Maybe Smile, or Sisters, or Ghosts, or Drama, or even her adaptations of the Babysitter's Club series. Her latest book, the one we were launching at Barnes & Noble, is called Guts. It is hard to overstate how highly anticipated this book has been. For a full week after Guts came out, it was the top-selling book on Amazon— like of all printed books, above new releases by Stephen King, Malcolm Gladwell, Edward Snowden, Margaret Atwood, above She Said by the reporters who broke the Harvey Weinstein story, a children's book, a 200-page comic largely about throw-up, performed better than all of that. That's right, throw-up. This is our Halloween episode, so be prepared for some stomach turning moments. Raina's books are beautiful works of art about uncomfortable things. Gus ends with a fart.
2: <laughs> That's That can be considered gross. That could be considered immature. That could be considered a lot of things. But farts are funny. <laughs> Honestly, they are. So instead of being embarrassed about it, instead of
1: focusing on how uncomfortable it is, it's like, let's focus on the humor of it. Today on The Longest Shortest Time, Raina Talgemeier tells us how some uncomfortable but funny and retrospect things in her childhood led her to accidentally become a hero to kids around the globe. And later in the show, Raina will answer some questions from an actual child. To understand how Raina got where she is today, you got to know something about her mom. She loves artichokes. One day, when Raina was nine, her mom served them for dinner. Later, Raina and her siblings, Amara and Will, went to bed. So did their parents. And then, in the middle of the night, Raina and her mom woke up with the stomach flu.
2: And then we were throwing up artichokes. And artichokes have a chemical in them that makes water taste sweet when you drink it after you eat one. So I threw up, and then she hands me, like, a little Dixie cup of water to drink. Like, here, you know, rinse your mouth out. And it was gross. It tasted like sugar-sweet water. Hmm. So there was also this, like, weird thing happening where I'm like, water doesn't taste like water. What is wrong? So she was like, oh, geez, I'm so
1: sorry. It's because we had artichokes for dinner. When Reyna went back to school, she tried to gross everyone out with her barfy artichoke story, She figured her friends would love it, since fourth grade was pretty much one big gross-out contest. But this story, this was over the top. Not funny, they told her. And then a couple months later,
2: I felt sick again and thought I was going to throw up again. And for some reason, it was like a curtain just descended over my body, where now the idea
1: of being sick was almost worse than the thing itself. Raina didn't throw up, but the intensity of worrying that she would... That changed her.
2: It meant that anytime, like, my brother was sick, he was really little and he got sick all the time. And I would, like, leave the house and go try to sleep in the car. And if somebody at school went, Oh, that thing makes me want to puke, I was like, ah! I'd freak out. And I started being worried anytime, like, a friend would go to the bathroom and, like, didn't come back for a while, I just immediately started thinking, oh, no, what if she's in the bathroom throwing up? I was afraid of vomiting. It's called emetophobia. I didn't know that word until much more recently. Yes, emetophobia is the pathological fear of vomiting. I was nine, and I was afraid of throw-up.
1: What was the anxiety about, though? Like, you said there was, like, a curtain. Like, what were you afraid was going to happen? I don't know. I think I was just afraid that I was going to get sick
2: or that the feeling of being sick was almost as bad as death.
1: Raina basically became a full-time vomit avoider. But it wasn't just vomit that freaked her out. Food could send her reeling. I mean, artichokes, obviously. And mushrooms, milk. She was also scared of... Bees. Scared of my parents dying. Scared of needles. Scared of pooping my pants. Scared of doctors. Scared of surgery. Scared of getting bad grades. Raina's reading handwritten words from a few panels in her new book, Guts. On the pages, you see her nine-year-old self, nauseated and sweaty, surrounded Uh, by swirling green clouds. And then the third panel, the words have just
2: gotten bigger and bigger and more intense, Mm -hmm. and they are pressing down on my character's figure. And here it says, snakes, pain, doctors, War, drowning, choking, bad at math, death, stupidity, talking, sickness, and kidnapping because that was real big in the 80s. Everybody was talking about kidnapping.
1: (laughs) These anxieties, they run the gamut from like small to big to realistic to like imagined. Mm -hmm. You know, it sounds like you were feeling scared all the time. Yeah. I was extremely anxious,
2: and anything could trigger me, and anything could go from being totally benign to being something horrifying in a blink. And what was that like to live in that state all the time? I will describe it as being both extremely noisy and extremely isolating. All these things would go in there, and they would make noise, but the isolation came from feeling like I couldn't talk about it. And like this was weird and that nobody else would understand this. And I was the only person who had thoughts like this in their head because I'd look over at my classmates and they're just, you know, normal, like doing their own thing and making friends with each other and and hanging
1: out and like eating their lunches and stuff. And I was like, oh, my gosh, how can they do that? (laughs) Like how can you guys just sit there eating your lunch when at any minute we could be hit by an atomic bomb? which felt imminent after Reyna watched a TV movie that dramatized what it would look like if a bomb fell on an American city. And so you see, like, people turn into
2: skeletons. And then there's, like, a family that's living in the aftermath of that. I then felt like, well, I guess I'd better prepare to die. And, like, I'd better figure out where my nearest fallout shelter is. And I'd better start getting canned food and, like, storing it away. And this is not something you want to be spending your time doing when you're nine. Did you talk about it with your parents? They were just sort of witness to it. They were witness to me having panic attacks and that just looked like crying and screaming and saying no, and I don't want to do that, and I can't, and not being able to sleep. And I think at first they just tried to calm me down and say, oh, you know, let's let's go over here and let's let's sit quietly and let's read a book together or something. But it just became more than they could handle, and they were dealing with their own stuff. My, my phobia started pretty shortly after my little brother was born. So suddenly we had three kids in the house. And my mom had two younger children who needed her probably more than I did. What are the age differences between you and my your siblings? My sister's five years younger and my brother's eight years younger. So when I was nine and starting to have panic attacks, I had a one-year-old brother. Uh-huh. Babies just take precedence over tweens. It's just the way the world works. So my dad had also recently lost his job. And I don't know if... My needs were noticed right away. But when they were, my dad had just gotten a new job. So he did have health insurance. And I know how lucky my family was because of that. And so they were able to find me a child psychologist that I could go and see. Were you psyched about that? Absolutely not. And I didn't know what therapy was, I didn't know what we were going to do. But it was just like a space for me to sort of process everything and talk to her about it. And we drew pictures and we sat at a sand table and played with paper dolls and stuff. And she, mostly what she saw was that I was overwhelmed at school, I was overwhelmed at home, and that there just needed to be a little bit of space
1: created for me. Raina was feeling cramped, not just emotionally, but physically, too. Her family lived in a two-bedroom apartment, and she shared a room with her siblings. She fantasized about being off in the forest, free to wander, or settled down by a brook with her sketchbook. Her parents understood they had to do something, but their solution still involved Raina having two roommates. Them. The period of years that my parents and I shared a bedroom, I wanna say it
2: was either three or four years. They they put up a curtain rod and then hung like a sheet, like a bed sheet, or maybe it was a shower curtain or I don't even remember. But it was a curtain that you could you could pull open to let light in but most of the time it was shut so that we could sort of have our own individual spaces mine was the small part of the room
1: so not quite the forest but i did have the window despite her dad's snoring reyna's move into her parents room helped she could breathe a little easier not live in a constant panicked state therapy helped too reyna began to learn how to manage her fears even to like artichokes again but she also coped with comics Like old school, in the newspaper. Like every day, you wake up in the morning
2: and you go downstairs and you see what happens next in your favorite comic strips. That rhythm became a part of my life very quickly. And I think... Because I was reading so many comics, I also started making my own. So I had been drawing characters inspired by my favorite shows on TV. And suddenly my characters looked more like Calvin and Hobbes and more like the characters in For Better, For Worse. And they started having, you know, word balloons coming out of their mouths. And I started giving them little situations to sort of discuss.
1: What kinds of situations?
2: It was mostly family humor. I didn't name my characters, you know, Mom, Reina, Amara, Will, and Dad. I think the character that I was closest to is named Chelsea. I just discovered this recently. I was looking through my old drawings. I'm like, I guess her name was Chelsea. You know, she had brown hair. She had a ponytail. She dressed like I dressed. She looked like I looked. And she would ask her mom to, like, drive her to the mall. (laughs) Her mom would say, not right now, honey. I'm drinking a cup of coffee. And then mom drinks the coffee really, really slowly. And so I was playing with the format and stretching out time and learning how to depict time through things like silence and multiple panels. And then... There's like a punchline at the end where Chelsea says, like, can't you drink faster or something? And it wasn't genius, but it was just stuff that I observed at home and interactions between my family and friends absolutely inspired
1: the kinds of things that I started writing and drawing about. All through middle school, high school and college, Raina kept drawing autobiographical comics with a healthy mix of struggle and punchline. When she was 20, she wrote about her life as a vicious mass murderer of mosquitoes. Reina plugged along, writing comic short stories 8 to 12 pages long. But then in 2003, the website girl came calling. They featured girl-friendly comics, an unusual concept at the time. And they wanted Reina to publish a webcomic. And it would have to be weekly, an ongoing column, for months, maybe years. So
2: I took that challenge as, okay, maybe it's time for me to start writing a longer story. I know I want to write this story about my teeth. So I just said, okay, a page a week. That's the commitment. We'll see what happens.
1: We will see what happens with Raina's Tooth Story when we come back. Smile. It won't be long. <laughs> Get it, kids? Don't go away. Can you say advertisements? Advertisements. Yeah, no, we're back with cartoonist reina telgemeier okay about that tooth story it was a genuine childhood trauma when i was 11 years old i tripped and fell and knocked out my
2: two front permanent teeth and then had to spend four and a half years dealing with braces headgear surgery tooth extractions tooth moving
1: and just i mean it was a nightmare this is the four-and-a-half-year nightmare that Raina documented step-by-step step in her weekly webcomic for girl Amatic. So I fell on pavement. I knocked one of my two front teeth directly out. It was sitting
2: on the pavement, and the other one got shoved up into my gum, so we couldn't find it. We were like, where's the tooth? My mom put the one that was out into milk. This happened at like 10 o'clock at night. And for some reason, my dentist was still in his office. And so she rushed me to the dentist. He put both teeth back in place, put like a sort of like a cast on them to keep them stable. And then when he took the cast off a few weeks later, we realized that the two front teeth had been damaged in this process. And so they suddenly set up higher in my mouth than they were supposed to, which left me with this really weird gap in the front of my face. And then I had a couple of root canals. And after that, they tried to put braces on me to try to move those two front teeth back down into their original position. But the nerves had been damaged and the teeth were, quote unquote, dead. And they were like, well, they're not moving. Um, It took a long time to figure out what to do. We could have put dentures in me. People weren't really doing implants yet, especially for children. So implants were an option. So my orthodontist kind of made this all up on the fly. He took those two front teeth back out and then put
1: braces on all of the rest of my top teeth to slide them together. I know it sounds impossible, right? But this is what the orthodontist did. He used braces to force all of Raina's teeth toward the middle of her mouth to make it look like the gap never existed. In the meantime, he put a couple of fake teeth in the gap while the braces worked their magic. But closing that gap took a couple of years. And they were like shaving off the sides of the (laughs) fake teeth as the gap closed. Yeah, and then I had like one fake tooth in the center as opposed to two. It was very strange. When the gap was finally closed and the last shred of fake tooth had been removed, Rena's teeth looked a little out of order. Like her canines were where her lateral incisors were supposed to be. So the orthodontist put bondings over her teeth to shape them to look more natural. Honestly, probably nobody noticed it was happening except for
2: me, but I was so self-conscious of it that I just felt like there was an arrow pointed at my face at all times. You know, when you're in middle school and then early high school, everybody's talking about their first kisses and people are starting to like each other. And I just felt like I was
1: not allowed to even participate in that Raina eventually learned that everyone's got their insecurities, which helped her to feel more like she belonged. For the next couple of decades, Raina found herself telling her tooth story a lot to new friends. It felt good to get it down on paper. Maybe she wouldn't have to explain it so much. But that process wasn't quick. It took Raina four years to get the story completed on girl In the meantime, Scholastic had hired her to draw graphic novel versions of The Babysitter's Club. And on the side, she kept writing short comics about her own life. Once a year, she'd Xerox those and bring them to comics conventions, lay them out on a table in a hotel ballroom, and sell them for a dollar a pop. And I guess my style of artwork had a lot in common with my influences.
2: So I had grown up on Disney and comic strips. So people would pick up my minis and they'd go, oh, this is really cute. Would this be appropriate for my kid to read? And I would say, yes,
1: except for page um, four in uh, volume five. Like, don't let them read that part. There wasn't anything too body as far as comics go. Just typical late night college partying stuff. And that just kept happening. So people kept asking if my work was appropriate for their kids. And so...
2: As I continued writing short stories and publishing them as mini-comics, I started to sort of veer more in that direction, like, okay, let me just focus on the childhood memories and make sure that I don't put anything offensive in there. And it was because people kept asking, and it seemed like they enjoyed those ones the most anyway. That was what I got the most feedback on and positive response to. Did you want to be writing for kids? I never thought about it. I never realized that that's what might happen. Um, That was never my goal. And even when Scholastic first offered to publish Smile, I was like, really? For a kid's book?
1: Okay. Smile was published as a printed book in February 2010, incidentally the same month my daughter was born. At that time, there wasn't really a market for children's graphic novels, and definitely not graphic memoirs about real childhood traumas. In art school and in pitch meetings, people told Reina work like hers would never sell. Graphic novels were not real literature, they said. And anyway, girls don't read comics. But clearly, kids are devouring her stories. Reina has over 18 million books in print globally, and they've been translated into 22 languages. She gets about 100 emails a week from fans, not to mention letters, drawings, and kid comics handed to her at live events. And you sent me some of the letters that you've gotten. I have one there in front of you. Could you read that for us? Yes. When I was in
2: third grade, eight years old, I had a similar accident to yours in Smile. I was ice skating with my best friend and I fell, knocking out my two front teeth. This was heartbreaking to me because they were my first two adult teeth. I was devastated. After I got new front teeth, I went through the process of a gait, palette expander, spacers, and braces, which I've had for three and a half years now. I found your book a couple of weeks after my accident. Your book helped me get through the hardest of my journey and helped me realize that I was not alone. I love all of your books so much. I am writing now because I am turning 13 in three weeks, and my bat mitzvah is in a month. I wouldn't be myself if it wasn't for your books. Thank you so, so, so much. So what is that like for you to be getting fan mail like this? (laughs) It's very surreal. And it always feels like it could be some time loop. Like, oh, I'm writing to myself from... Back in the day, like I'm writing a letter to my future self. I don't know if you've ever done that where there's like a website where you can like write a letter to future you. And I've actually done that a couple of times, just like one year into the future. So it feels like there's like a time travel movie going on right now where (laughs) little Raina writes to current Raina and tells her, thank you. It's heartwarming. And I, I feel so connected to these readers. And I know that they connect to my stories and to me and just to their own internal state in a way that I also experienced with my favorite books when I was a kid. So it's just, I don't even have the words for it. It's just incredible.
1: Does it feel re-traumatizing at all to have to constantly be talking about your past traumas? It can sometimes be
2: a little bit traumatizing to have to revisit these stories. After I have finished writing and drawing, I can close the page and say, okay, that is out of my system. I can walk away and, and move on. And then I go to a book signing and kids go, okay, but what was it really like when you knocked out your two front teeth? And did your friends really pull down your skirt in the middle of lunch? So I am talking about things over and over again. Mm -hmm. I've talked about my teeth so many times that I no longer feel that trauma and that hurt from the experience. And maybe that's part of why I wrote Guts is that I knew that getting through it and then being able to talk about it with people would sort of help me to overcome whatever lingering bits of phobia and anxiety
1: around the topic of throwing up are still there. As a person who fears throwing up, was it difficult for you to draw so much throw up in this (laughs) book?
2: (laughs) Part of the therapy that I've done as an adult mostly is called exposure therapy. And it's part of training a person out of phobia is to expose yourself to the thing that bothers you the most. You talk about it, you talk about the word, you practice saying the word, and then maybe you start listening to like audio recordings of the sound. That sounds horrible. I know, it totally does. My um, my current therapist showed me this picture of a big puddle of puke on the street, which is gross, and like that's something you encounter in New York all the time. That used to freak me out in real life. I used to run screaming. And now I can look at a picture of it and be like, "Oh, it's just a photograph." But the photo that she showed me had a pigeon in it, like a pigeon's like checking it out. And for some reason I kept focusing on the pigeon. I was like, "Look at that pigeon. What a what a silly pigeon." And and so she was like, "Embrace that. Like keep that thought. Like think about how funny that is." And so now it's like, "Oh yeah, it's kind of funny." But there's a scene in the beginning of the book where, like, one of my classmates throws up in the schoolyard and then drops his pencil in it. That really happened. It was very funny. <laughs> like, it's just a funny visual. So drawing it, I tried to tell myself, like, this is a funny visual. This is just something that really happened. Um I really hope that nobody throws up on me during my book tour. That's something I've always been afraid of, actually, as a touring author who goes to schools and visits children and uses the child bathroom at the school sometimes. I think, oh, geez, (laughs) this
1: is the last thing I want. In a minute, we'll hear from one of Reina's biggest fans. Don't worry, it's not going to get all misery. That one was for the grown-ups. Stay with
0: us. (laughs) Advertisers.
1: We are back, and I want to tell you more about this launch event I did with Raina. The most memorable part for me was the Q&A period. And I've got to tell you, as a person who has spoken in front of a lot of adult audiences, here is how Q&A usually goes. I'll say, does anyone have any questions? And this is what I hear. Come on, I'll say, one of you has a question. It's okay, just ask. Now's your chance. Then someone will slowly raise their hand. After they ask their question, I'll get a few more. But when I asked Raina's audience if there were any questions, dozens of tiny hands shot up. By the end, there must have been over a hundred hands waving in the air. I challenged the kids to ask Raina questions she had never heard before, so that she would remember this event the most in the blur of her tour. Yes, I see this as a competition. (laughs) One kid asked, Can I be your friend? Reina's answer, well, yeah, through my books, but not the kind of friend who will come over for dinner. Another kid was dying to know if Reina has thrown up as an adult. Nope, not since she was nine. Well, one of your child fans lives in my house. Mm. (laughs) Her name is Sasha. Hi, Sasha. She's nine years old. Andy, uh, could you play clip one? Would you like to say hi to Reina Telgemeier? Hi, Reina Telgemeier. So that's Sasha, and she really wanted to ask you some questions, but she is in school right now, so I recorded her asking her questions. (laughs) This is a surprise. I love it. So here's the first one.
2: Why did you choose to write about your life? Actually, it wasn't a choice. I've just been doing it for a long time. I was a kid who kept a diary, and then I started illustrating the entries in my diary And before I knew it, I was drawing journal comics pretty much every day. I started doing it when I was about 11, and I kept doing it all the way through college. I always thought, well, I'm never going to be a writer because I don't have an imagination. All I ever write about is my own life. And it turns out you are a writer, no matter what you're writing about, even if it is just your daily
1: life and your daily struggles. I'm going to ask a follow-up to that question that Sasha asked you. Um, Why have you chosen to tell... Your stories through pictures? That was
2: another choice I don't even feel like I made. It's just the way that I tell stories. I am a cartoonist, just like some people are filmmakers, some people are singers, some people are dancers. I make comics. It's my preferred storytelling format. I've been making comics since I was in elementary school. And so the idea of writing a story that doesn't have pictures. It's like a language I don't even know how to speak. (laughs) My language is both words and pictures. Sometimes when I'm talking to a human person in real life, my brain will just for a second switch into line mode where I can sort of see the way that I would draw their face. I can see the lines in front of me as if they're superimposed over the real life thing. Um, I think my brain is just sketching constantly and, and, and trying to imagine how to draw something. Okay, let's hear the next question. Who is your favorite sibling? (laughs) I plead the fifth. I'm not going to name a favorite sibling because I only have two and they'd be very mad at each other uh, if I named only one.
1: This morning we were talking about it and she was like, she's just going to say she doesn't have a favorite. And I I was like, yeah, she probably will. (laughs) i just want to answer that question. That's probably the right answer. (laughs) Um, Okay, let's hear the next question.
2: Do you have any advice for a fourth grader like me? <laughs> I mean, a fourth grader like you, I'd, I feel like I'd need to get to know you a little bit better so that I could give advice to someone like you. But for fourth graders in general, you know, when you're nine years old and when you're 10 years old, your body's starting to change and sometimes your thoughts start to change with your body. And that's okay. I think just be open to change. Be open to talking to people about how you're feeling and what you're, um, both what you're really enjoying about your life and what you're not enjoying about it. Um, have fun. You know, if you like to draw, please draw. If you like to sing, join a choir. If you like to um, play video games, like find friends that you like to play with and be kind to people. <laughs> Hopefully find folks to hang out with who are kind to you. Yeah, just look out for yourself. Take care of yourself. I like all of that. It's true for fifth graders and also 42-year-olds
1: um, <laughs> and over. Okay, so Sasha really likes to ask people would you rather Oh, boy. So this is one that she designed especially for you, Raina Telgemeier.
2: <laughs> would you rather never write a book again or have 99 siblings? Counting you, it would be 100. I would rather—oh, well, if I have 99 siblings, I still get to write books. So I think I'll choose that one. And then I'll have, like, 99 subjects to write books about also. (laughs) Uh,
1: There's a line in Guts, I think. I can't remember if it's Guts or Smile, where um, your character references that your little brother is, like— material for future comics. Oh, yeah.
2: It's in (laughs) guts. And um, one of my friends and I were, like, talking about writing comics and what we were going to write comics about. And the epiphany was like, we can just write about what we see in, like, our everyday lives. And that's just the kind of revelations I was starting to have when I was a kid. So, yeah, realizing early on, like, oh, my little brother says some wacky stuff, so I can start kind of mining that for material. So if you had 99 of those... Yeah. Oh, I'd be set. I would never have to think of ideas ever again.
1: We know Raina will make more books even without 99 siblings. You can find links to the ones she's written with just two siblings at our website, LongestShortestTime.com, in the post for this episode. That's episode 212. Also, guys, Raina is on tour right now. And if you get to go to one of her events please ask her a question you think she's never heard before and tell her long as short Shortest as Time says hi. This episode was produced by me, Hilary Frank, with Elizabeth Nakano and Jackie Sajiko. We are edited by Peter Clowney. Our engineers are Pete Karam and Andrea Kristen's daughter. Our music is performed by hotmoms.gov. We get editorial support from Antonia Akatunde, Amory marie Baldonado, Rekha Murthy, and Julia Wang. We'll be back next week with Bridget Schulte, who has advice on what to say next time someone humble brags about staying at the office late.
0: Wouldn't it be great if instead of like, oh my God, they're so amazing, they're working so hard. Wouldn't it be great if the conversation was like, wow, it's too bad you're so inefficient. You know, wouldn't it be great if you could get your work done on time? What happened? What could you do better next time? Bridget was part of our It's a Real
1: Mother series two years ago. She's going to catch us up on what's new in the world of discrimination against working moms. You don't want to miss this episode. Subscribe to The Longest Shortest Time on Stitcher or wherever you're listening right now.